Hi, and welcome to Take Every Thought Captive, our weekly look at the Catholic intellectual tradition and an exploration of the authors, books, and topics that have shaped Catholic thinking for 2,000 years. I'm joined this week by Dr. Benjamin Smith to discuss the topic of the common good. Dr. Smith recently presented a paper on this topic at the 2019 yearly meeting of the American Maritime Association, hosted by DeSales University in Pennsylvania. So, Dr. Smith, uh, uh, thanks for bringing your paper to uh, to uh, Catholic Studies Academy. Why don't you uh, maybe tell us a little bit about uh, the conference, maybe let us know uh, about the, the paper you presented. Sure, Jason, happy to do so. Uh, the, um, the conference was, uh, you know, fantastic. It was a lot of fun. Um, brings together a, a lot of Catholic intellectuals, Catholic theologians, uh, predominantly Catholic. There were actually some uh, Jewish philosophers and uh, there as well, uh, you know, brings them together for a weekend to really uh, present um, papers and research on Thomas Aquinas, Jacques Maritain, and really sort of classical philosophy uh, and theology uh, broadly construed. Uh, it's named after, it's called the Maritain Institute, it's ma- named after uh, Jacques Maritain, who is one of the leaders, along with Etienne Gilson, of the mid-20th century uh, revival in Thomas' thought. Um, I highly recommend Maritain's work. Some of them are harder than others, um, but uh, but they're all quite good and interesting. Uh, don't I don't necessarily agree with everything Maritain has to say, but uh, I do think he's he's worth always worth reading and, and very interesting. Uh, you know, a deep thinker and, and a man of um, of great faith. And the American Maritain Association was founded to carry on his legacy of really of thinking about Thomistic philosophy but engaging with contemporary thought. Mm. So um, this was, was kind of a hallmark of Maritain's um, work. He was very well read in mid-20th century French philosophy, especially existentialism, oh, okay. and, and really un- uh, understood it and had a real heart for trying to connect with um, uh, the intellectuals of his time and, and bring to them, in a sort of a, a dialogue, um, uh, some of the you know, perennial wisdom um, you know, expressed by Thomas Aquinas. Awesome, very good. And so, you presented a paper there. What was the and I, you know, the topic of your paper was the the common good, which that's right. is a huge, it's a huge, huge area. That's right. It's and right. a huge issue today. <laughs> that's right. That's uh, right. Uh, about what the common good is, and you know, how do we strive for it? How do we put it? You know, in relation to the individual goods. That's right. Yeah. Uh, so, so tell us a little bit about your paper. So, yeah, the, the title of the paper was the, the Common Good at the Intersection of Religion and Politics. Okay. So, uh, bringing together two things you're never supposed to talk about, right? <laughs> religion and politics. Um, so, uh, yeah, you say it's a vast topic. And I think we've talked about it a little bit before when we talked about justice. Mm-hmm. So, I don't want to go too far uh, down to the details of what the common good is, although I'll say a little bit about that. But basically, my motive in, in writing this paper is you're well aware uh, as I'm sure are many other people that, you know, right now we're in a time of real intense political strife and conflict. We're also uh, part, you know, in the middle of a kind of a movement towards certain ways of thinking about social justice um, that are uh, fairly radical and involve some, uh, some, some aspects maybe that are, that are laudable, but also some aspects that are uh, troubling. Now, I, by saying that, I'm not talking about an authentic understanding of social justice, but social justice as it's commonly sort of um, uh, um, commonly used or commonly intended in uh, contemporary uh, debates and contemporary discourse. Um, 
So in the name of social justice, you know, there's a lot, uh, often the common good is invoked, mm -hmm. right? That mm -hmm. is, some policy needs to be changed, some institution needs to be reformed, some way of speaking or interacting needs to be eliminated uh, for the sake of the common good, right? Um, and, and so there, uh, there are a number of errors that have developed in connection to the common good that I wanted to address in this paper. And unfortunately, uh, these errors don't just crop up outside of the church. They also crop up by people who, uh, well-intended, I'm sure, often, uh, but you know, leaders and uh, sometimes theologians, sometimes um, you know, lay leaders uh, who um, uh, misunderstand the common good mm -hmm. um, and, and misinterpret it. So I wanted to address those misinterpretations, uh, kind of intervene there. Mm -hmm. and, and bring to light, uh, clear up some of those confusions by by emphasizing the work of Thomas Aquinas. And it's good. I think that's a great point to make about you know the things of the world affect the things of the church. So not mm -hmm. all the, not all of this opposition maybe to Saint Thomas or to to the Catholic understanding of the common good, it doesn't always come from outside of the church. Mm -hmm. That it comes also from, like you said, you know, uh, um, theologians and other people. You know, and they're not you know they're not necessarily you know. Uh, 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 vicious or vindictive sure, in sure. their in their um, mm -hmm. motives, but mm -hmm. uh, but in some instances, you know, they're erroneous. That's right. Um, yeah, so, I mean, I think it's hard to kind of. I mean, you can't sort of seal yourself off or something, and you wouldn't even really want to. Yeah. But of course, that that means that you know our intellects are affected by, and we're affected by a lot of different ideas that flow in and out, and you know, especially with the pervasive character of media culture, you just can't help help but be sort of influenced, right, oh, yeah. uh, by the broader culture. And as I say, that, that creates a confusion that I think is at least helped uh, by just bringing in some of, uh, you know, the way that Thomas uh, looks at, Thomas Aquinas looks at uh, the common good. So what, what were some of maybe St. Thomas's main points or okay. or maybe yeah. what were some of the errors that, that he encountered? Well, I'll, I'll, stick, I'll start with just kind of emphasize a couple of the main points from Thomas's view. Uh, this is a vast topic and one in which there's been a lot of uh, writing um, the uh, and, and and a good bit of dispute. Uh, basically, the common good is a good. Um, there there are many common goods in our life. Mm -hmm. We'll start with that. Okay. Uh, the basic difference between a common good and an individual good is the is a is that a common good is a good one in number shared by many, mm -hmm. whereas an individual good is proper to one alone. That is, it's enjoyed by one alone and it perfects one alone. Mm -hmm. So, exa some examples of that would be something like. Um, my health, my pleasure, or my degree, mm -hmm. right? So those are goods that are proper to me. Now, from those, it might be the case, be the case that I, I move on to benefit others, right? Right, right? But but directly speaking, you know, my degree is an honor conferred upon myself alone. I can't actually transfer that to anyone else. Right, Does that make sense, right? right. right? Uh, similarly, uh, you know, my health and my life indirectly may benefit my children, but it's not enjoyed by my children. It's not their lives, right? right? <laughs> uh, that sort of thing. Now, there's nothing wrong with the individual good. The individual good is part of our lives. Sure. Uh, an important part. But actually what we find is that very often common goods are uh, even more important. So common goods are goods that we share. So your children uh, is a common good that you share with your wife, right? Mm -hmm. Domestic happiness and felicity is a common good of the family, uh, victory is the common good of the sports team or of the military. Um, something like uh, a beautiful symphony is the common good of an orchestra. Does that, does that make yeah, yeah. sense? Right? So, so, so when we're talking about the common good, it's not necessarily this, this 
one kind of good that's only good for all of society. But mm-hmm. but but whenever you talk about a common good, it's some it's a good that is proper to more than one person. That's so right. mm-hmm. so whether you're talking about the uh, uh, the institution of the family mm-hmm. or even the couple, like mm-hmm. you said, a sports team. So mm-hmm. so there's many different common goods uh, depending you know upon which kind of group we're talking about. That's right. That's very about. good. Okay. Yeah, okay. Yeah. In fact, one of the things I find useful about this is just in terms of thinking about group dynamics and group development and, and things of that nature. When you when you have a group and institution, one of the things you should ask yourself is what is our common good? Right? Yeah. That, that common good is what's really defining and, 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 and unifying. And that's one of the characteristics of the common good is that a common good brings together, it unifies various parts around a central activity, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. Whereas individual goods, even if they're good, they can actually end up dividing, right? If you think about yeah, it, yeah. right? You know, I think about my health, my money, my prosperity, my um, uh, reputation, etc. right? That can cause, that's not bad in itself, but right. it is, it has the potential to cause real division, right? Yeah. Um, so the common good is, 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 uh, is, is important uh, through our lives. Now, most of the time when we talk about the common good, um, we're talking about it in a political context, right? Right. And so we're talking about the idea of, uh, of the, the common good of the political community. Mm-hmm. Um, and there I'll just say very briefly, it's very complex, and maybe we can kind of get into this once we look at some of the misinterpretations. Sure. Um, but um, uh, basically the way Thomas conceptualizes the common good, the political common good, is that it's a kind of um, happiness, it was surprisingly right. That is, it's uh, what's called acquired active happiness. <laughs> That's a very technical way of putting it, right? But basically, you could think about it as uh, as uh, just kind of break down the definition a little bit here. So, sure. active happiness. Active happiness is distinguished from contemplative happiness in Thomas's view, right? Okay. Contemplative happiness is that higher kind of happiness that involves our spiritual good, our intellectual good, our contemplation of God, our contemplation of the truth, and of goodness and beauty, right? Mm-hmm. So that's kind of the higher dimension, right? Mm-hmm. Um, active happiness is really more about our temporal good, right? Okay. It's about our bodily good. And that might sound kind of boring, but if you actually think about it, most of our lives are, are, are taken up with taking care of the body, clothing the body, sheltering the body, yeah. uh, feeding the body. You think about, the, obviously, the connection between the body and sexual life and the family. Right. That's, that's a, it actually covers a huge amount right, of our lives, right, are actually about active happiness. Okay? Yeah. Now, what, now, what makes, um, or about temporal goods, what makes our, uh, our use of those temporal goods a form of happiness, you, you want to think here really of excellence or flourishing, mm-hmm. uh, is, um, are the virtues, Right. right, so our virtuous engagement with the goods of the body, bodily goods, temporal goods—that's what acquired active happiness is. Okay, right? and it's called acquired because it's something we can acquire through habit and through formation and through uh, education. Okay, okay. so uh, really, when you're thinking about it, active happiness, what that really comes down to is the virtuous use of temporal goods. Ah, right? very okay. nice. Um, and. Um, what Thomas thinks, and this is interesting, it's, it's a very classical view, is that really our virtuous use of um, temporal goods is something that is best done, most effectively and properly done, as a common good. That is, through the cooperation of citizens within a just community. So it's actually something that we achieve together. Okay, so even though it's, yeah, individuals doing things it's it, it it has this common vision now does 
St. Thomas say that political community needs to have this common understanding mm-hmm. in order to move forward? And mm-hmm. what happens maybe if a society doesn't <laughs> sure, have yeah, this? Yeah. You know, because, you know, like, mm-hmm. you know, uh, today, mm-hmm. I mean, what you just described is mm-hmm. quite foreign from most sure. people's minds. Uh, uh, so how do we work mm-hmm. towards the common good maybe without this common understanding? Yeah. Or do we, is, is that where we begin? Or, you know, mm-hmm. do, do you know what I mean? Sure. The common good can be realized well or imperfectly or maybe not at all. Okay. Okay. So it admits of degrees, I guess you could say, in a certain way. I would say that in the United States of America, whether we know it or not, we do almost by accident manage to accomplish some of the political common good. Does does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, and some of it's part of natural law. Sure. sure. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, we do have laws that help us have, you know, regulated and honest... um, Markets of exchange, right? Right. right. Uh, we we do have laws that protect our bodily well being, right, from assault, things of that nature. So, to some degree, you know, the United States of America, I think, does accomplish the the political common good. Mm-hmm. Um, now, to do that in a in a robust way, yeah. I think you know um, presupposes some unity in terms of how we understand virtue. Okay. Um, that can be explicit or implicit. I think it's arguable that for many generations, uh, Americans shared a maybe implicit understanding of some of the basic virtues. Yeah, yeah at least the uh, cardinal virtues. Sure, right? yeah, the cardinal virtues. And, and those are the ones that are really relevant here. Uh, and, um, you know, I think that's uh, that's obviously diminished <laughs> over time. And I think that that has, has something to do with the, the rancor and hostility and difficulty that we find ourselves in right as that as that as that common vision breaks down faction begins right faction as a political reality right in which Mm -hmm. we contend with each other in this kind of really uh dramatic power struggle right instead of instead of working together right to advance uh the common good so yeah i think that that's that's correct and 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 because of our our lack of unity on that i think we we end up creating false versions of the common good right that's really what my paper focused on was trying to show okay here are here are erroneous versions of the common good and i came up with with four errors right right. four errors about the common good all right so um i'll just name them off and then we can work through them and and we'll see how time goes but sure uh the um the 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 four errors are uh the utilitarian uh error uh the statist error the egalitarian error and the theo- theological error. Ah. So we have four four errors there. Um, and we'll start with the most basic one, uh, which is the utilitarian error. Okay. Um, so this is uh, this error, this mistake comes in when we understand the common good and define it in terms of the individual good. Okay. So I call this utilitarian because this is essentially utilitarianism. That is the, the view espoused by Jeremy Bentham and John Stuart Mill. Basically, what I mean here is, is when we come to think of the common good as the aggregate of individual goods, mm. right, mm. or the sum total of individual goods. Right. So that the common good really comes down to simply a quantitative increase of individual goods. Does oh, that make okay. sense? Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. So, um, you know, that, that's a, a basic misunderstanding, um, and you know, you can think about where areas where this might be applied. Uh, um, in particular, say that our recent, and this was some years back now, but but still pretty fresh um, debates about health care. Right? Mm-hmm. Health, strictly speaking, 
is an individual good, mm-hmm. right? Right. Um, uh, but, you know, the, the whole debate kind of just revolved around whether or not we want more of it or not. And then mm-hmm. how do we get it, right? right? As if justice or as if the political common good were merely a matter of uh, increasing the quantity of health, right? That might, that obviously, like the total quantity of health, health that obviously sounds attractive initially, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. But you have to just kind of think about it a little bit more, right? Um, there, there are obviously things that we could implement that would increase the quantity of health, mm-hmm. right? The total health that would be manifestly unjust. Mm, okay. Right. So, for example, let's say that we decided what we're really going to do is we're going to get diabetes and all these things under control and obesity and so forth. And what we're going to do is we are going to um, regulate your consumption of food. <laughs> right. So we're going to track what you buy yeah. and we're going to uh, fine you or arrest you if you eat more than you're supposed to uh, eat. Right. Right? Right, right. Or eat the wrong kinds of things. Right. Through those kind of regulatory measures, we could probably increase total health. Right. Yeah. And it would still be unjust. Okay? <laughs> right. Does that make sense? Don't right? touch my beard. That's right. right. <laughs> so uh, I mean, we tried this one. It's prohibition. Yeah, right? yeah. Uh, so the uh, um, so you got to think about it more than that. Now, I, I actually do think that that healthcare uh, uh, does belong does belong in a way to the common good. But sure. instead of thinking about it in terms of indivi- the individual good of health, what we need to think about is what's the just use, the just um, distribution of medical goods and services. Mm-hmm. That's a different. You see how that's slightly different. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. but it's an important difference, right? Because those services are services provided by doctors and nurses and other healthcare professionals. And what we need to think about is, well, how, 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 how are those services uh, justly communicated, used, and distributed, uh, not just how can we increase the quantity of health? Right, right, right. Yeah, because sometimes it, it goes from kind of being a kind of a, a passive arrangement or at least a passive um, mm-hmm. uh, uh, interaction with, with sure. what you're trying to bring about and an active one uh-huh. where, you, like you said, you know, we're going to actively watch what you eat, you know, right. and all of these things, you know, uh-huh. come uh-huh. to your house and take your beer. <laughs> That's right, you know, right. Uh, uh, Mandatory tofu. Right, right. <laughs> right. right. Uh, oh, gosh, that would be horrible. <laughs> Texas would, that would be, I think, <laughs> Texas would be gone. <laughs> yeah, so so, so there, there is that fine line between, you know, uh, mm-hmm. uh, passively trying to promote something mm-hmm. or, or passively trying to, to bring about some mm-hmm. end uh, to you know, actively uh, uh, infringing on um, mm-hmm. um, on other people's rights and things like that sure. to bring something about. Yeah, and it takes it really takes us away from thinking about our political lives as a common activity, right? Right, and translates that into my individual benefit, right? Right, right, right. into a net of individual benefits. It's, even if it's an aggregate of individual benefits, like the total sum, it's still individual benefits. And then what this does is it creates a situation of competition and faction right mm-hmm. because now you know uh in order to pay for these programs of course that means some pe- there has to be uh tax measures that have to be passed right yep. or other regulatory issues that that puts certain individual goods in competition with other individual goods does that make sense <laughs> yeah, yeah. and then that leads to division right so yeah. instead of categorizing it in terms of the individual good which can lead to division right what we need to do is think about in terms of the, of the common good and our common activity of um, securing and distributing uh, medical goods and services in a just way. Okay, so if the uh, 
so the utilitarian view is that the, the common good is just the sum of the individual goods. That's right. Yeah, okay. Very good. Yeah. All right. So, so what what is our what is our next error? The next error is what I call the statist error. Statist. Right. And uh, the statist error is um, uh, really involves a mistake about the primary agent of the common good. Okay. Okay. So very often when I speak about the common good, uh, people immediately think this is what's done by the government. Okay. <laughs> And and then they get very worried, because yeah. right? uh, or some people maybe are, are happier about it. But the 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 point is is there's a a, a misapprehension that the government is the sole agent mm-hmm. of the common good. The government, of course, is intimately connected to the common good, and the whole reason uh, government exists is for the sake of uh, securing and protecting the common good. Mm-hmm. But very very often, the common good is actually brought about by the parts of the community not by the direct action of the government. In fact, really what the, direct, the, the government does is facilitate, right, the operation of the parts. Right, you right, know? right. Um, Now, Thomas has a really interesting way of putting this, and he, he follows Aristotle, and it's really kind of the, the background philosophical context for, the, for what's come to be known as the principle of subsidiarity. Yep. Um, but uh, Thomas and Aristotle, uh, in arguing with Plato, so Plato held for a kind of, almost kind of just totalitarian government. It's kind of weird to think about. But anyways, uh, where, where, you know, the, the, the wise guardians, the philosopher kings sort of control everything. Yeah. Right? Both Aristotle and Thomas disagreed with that uh, and criticized it, uh, but they didn't actually criticize it on the base, exactly on the basis of individual rights. Mm. Right? They, they had two, two kind of different appro- approaches. One is they would say, look, certain goods are proper to certain parts. Okay, mm-hmm. that is, they are um, the the proper good of those parts. So you think about, uh, say, medical goods and services again. Okay. Those are proper to healthcare professionals and healthcare associations, right? That is, right. those are the people who have the art, right, required for delivering that good. Yeah. Does that make sense, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. So, you know, doctor qua doctor is the proper agent of medical goods and services. Ah, okay? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, similarly, uh, you'd say the education and procreation of children, right, is the proper good, right, of the parents, right, mm-hmm. of, to, of uh, um, a married couple. Um, so you could go on with this, right? Sure, 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 sure. Right? So that you can see that there are um, good, that most of the goods that actually make up the day-to-day workings of the common good yeah. actually come from the parts, not from, directly from the government. Okay? Right. Um, so Thomas says, look, it would be unjust to deprive the part of its proper operation. Yeah. Right? That's what's due to it. it. It is the agent that's proper to, to pursuing that good. It has a duty to pursue that good, and it would be wrong to interfere with it. Second, the second, maybe even more important point is that it actually corrupts the common good itself for the state to interfere, right? <laughs> because what ends up happening is the government is not apt, right? It's not conditioned or fitted to the procreation and education of children or the provision of medical goods and services. Right. And so what ends up happening is the, the common, the polis or the, con, the, sorry, the community as a whole deprives itself of the effective delivery of these goods by taking them from the parts uh, that are properly apt to carrying out those goods and services. Does that make sense? Yeah. So maybe maybe a good example of this is you know like kind of like chi- uh, China's one child policy. Like, okay. You know the, sure. the the procreation of children that as a common good should be left sure 
to the discretion mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. the parents. Right, sure. And for the state to come in and usurp mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. Uh, uh, that power, mm-hmm. uh, uh, not only uh, um, not only takes away um, a common good of the parents, but sure. harms, yeah. as you were saying, harms the common good as a whole. As, as a whole, right. Let me give you a good example of this. Uh, refers both to China and to the Soviet Union. Yeah. Under both regimes in their in their sort of most communist phases, there was a radical restructuring and state planning of agriculture, mm. right? State-run farms. I mean, if you can imagine, I mean, the, the, the whole of the Soviet Union, right? Right. Being run by a central office, right, that's trying to to govern all agricultural work. Oh, good right? Right, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and control it, plan it, you know, the, the whole nine yards, right? Same thing in China, right, yeah. that, that happened in China. Uh, massive uh, failure, right? Yeah. Uh, and China produced uh, famines, it, it just complete disaster, right, uh, in terms of the ability to do this. Why is that? Because, you know, s- agricultural goods and services are not proper to government bureaucrats, right? right. Uh, agricultural goods and services are proper to farmers, right, <laughs> who possess the art of farming. One really interesting tidbit here is that in the Soviet Union over the years, they would allow certain, they would allow the, the workers, the agricultural workers, to have a little bit of land on their own. Yeah. Right? So the most of it was a big state farm, right? But then they'd ha- they would allow them to have these little plots, right, uh, that they could develop. Those little plots often outperformed the much larger, <laughs> right, state-run farms uh, that the same workers worked at because, you know, they could actually do the farming themselves, yeah, right, yeah, yeah. rather than being commanded by upper uh, upper management, so to speak. Um, so that's a good illustration, I think, of the way in which, you know, the, the way in which the government interfering in the mm-hmm. proper operation of the part actually subverts the common good. Yeah, right? whole, yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. Uh, there's no reason for the Soviet Union to ever have a shortage in food. It's when, the, 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 uh, you know, like uh, they had one of the richest grain growing uh, uh, regions in the whole world, right? Yeah. And uh, that should have been more than sufficient to, to feed the whole populace. So uh, that's one of the main errors there. And, the, and you know, of course, there's some reason for it. It grows out of the truth, right, that the political authority exists for the sake of the common good. Right. But it doesn't follow that the common good belongs to the government, right? Yeah. The government is the is the guardian, right, of, of the common good. And very often what that means is simply facilitating the parts in their proper operation uh, and allowing the parts to act as agents of the common good. Right. And like you said, uh, a, a good way to understand this further is to, to look at the principle of subsidiarity. Which That's right. Is, yeah, which is a, a key principle to Catholic social teaching. It really is. And, uh, and I think one of the things that the that this helps with is it gives it kind of a enriches our understanding of why that principle is as it is. Right. right Cause right, right. it's one thing to state, well, if, you know, if it can be taken care of at a lower level, it should be, uh, you know, left at the lower level, but we also should be explained why that's the case. Right? right. And, 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 and Thomas and Aristotle give us two very clear reasons. One, because it's due to the parts yep. to allow the parts to pursue their operation. And two, it's actually uh, harmful to the common good to prevent the parts from doing their proper operation. Right, right. Now, I, w- I will say, now, this doesn't exclude, like, any participation of um, um, a, a higher authority. Sure. Mm-hmm. In, to, to participate in allowing this lower authority oh, yeah, uh, sure. uh, to operate. It's yeah. not this mm-hmm. absolute kind of, mm-hmm. you know, I have absolute say in everything that I do. Of course, you know, yeah. So, like right, that. Right. So, yeah, I mean, uh, the, I mean, the main, one of the main things, of course, you know, you think about the operation of various markets, 
Well, that depends on, you know, there being, you know, inventory security, laws against fraud, against exploitative labor practices, all those sorts of things. And the political, that's where the political authority comes in to to guard and facilitate the the, the common good. All right. So uh, moving on to number three. Okay, yeah, number three. So this probably is the most serious and widespread error today, uh, which I've labeled the egalitarian error. Um, that is because it has a distorted sense of the kind of equality that's proper to the common good. Say that again. Sure. It it has a distorted sense of the kind of equality that's appropriate to the common good. Okay. Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, so uh, a couple of uh, general things here. First, um, you know, the common good is the, is the temporal, the virtuous use of temporal goods. Mm -hmm. Right. So we've already defined that. Among the virtues, though, um, the virtue that's primarily relevant is justice. The other virtues are are, are connected, but the primary virtue uh, that's in charge here of the, of the of the use of temporal goods is is justice. Right? Sure. Uh, at the political level, so there's different parts of justice. Uh, we we did a podcast on um, uh, justice, so I won't go into all of the parts again. Sure. But one of the elements that the element that's relevant here is what's called distributive justice. Mm-hmm. And what distributive justice does is it um, dis- it distributes the goods uh, that are owed to the parts from the whole. Right. So you think okay. about the whole community. What does the whole community owe to its parts? Right. Okay. Right. That's what distributive justice is about. And there is a kind of equality that's important here. Right? Sure. Um, but uh, there's a technical distinction that needs to be observed. That's that's important. Right. So Aristotle says, distinguishes two kinds of equality, arithmetical equality and geometrical equality. All right. Okay? So <laughs> arithmetical equality is a, a perfect uh, equal, uh, quantitative equality between subjects. So I can okay. illustrate this with an easy example. I have one piece of pizza, you have one piece of pizza, mm-hmm. right? right? Or you have... Um, a candy bar, and you swap it for two pieces of pizza. Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. There's a quantitative equality between the subjects. Sure. Um, that's not actually the thing, right, that's important for distributive justice, and a lot of people get mistaken about that. Right. They think that it's about Jason and Ben having an equal quantity of goods. Right. Right. But that's not the standard of distributive justice. The standard of distributive justice is geometrical equality, or proportion okay so easy way of illustrating this i like to ask my students uh do you guys think that equality is good i'll say yes of course (laughs) right and then i say okay good so um do you think i should give all of you the same grade yeah well (laughs) no not exactly right and uh, and and so this is just an easy way of introducing them to the complexity of equality right that is actually a, a complicated notion um, geometrical or proportionate equality is about um, a distribution of of good according to the merit of the subject. Right. right? right. So we think about the distribution of grades. It would be unjust for me to give the same grade to both the excellent student and the average student. Right. Does that make sense? Right. right? In fact, what's what is just there is to give a higher score to the excellent student and a lower score to the average student. Right. So that in comparative quantities, right, they're going to actually be unequal. Yeah, But yeah, they're yeah. equal to 
the person who receives it. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, that actually helps a lot, I think, when you're thinking through these issues because we have no obligation under distributive justice to create a quantitative equality between all citizens. Right. right? And it actually leads to injustice. That's right. <laughs> it, the effort to do so would lead to injustice. Yeah. Right. And so what we need to do is... Uh, is guarantee a distribution of quantity. Sorry, I have to use the word quantity so much, which is part of the discussion. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, uh, a distribution of, of quantity that is equal to what each citizen deserves. Right. Okay. And deserve, and what they deserve is also based on their merit. And the, yeah, their merit. And that could be a little bit complicated. And it does change some, I think, with different societies. Um, you know, Thomas... Uh, is writing during a medieval period in which they're operating under, under a feudal system. Sure. And he's quite happy to say, you know, that uh, feudal lords who are basically, you know, operate as um, both kind of law enforcement and military yeah. officials, right, in, in that setting, you know, that they should yeah. get more because they have a greater, they provide a greater service to the common good. Right. right? Um you know, obviously we live in a very different kind of society, but you can still use some similar principles. And basically the way Thomas talks about it is there are three things, uh, position, contribution, and need. Mm-hmm. So your position in society, your contribution society, and your need. And the need's right, the, the key yeah, point yeah. But here, but what is it that's necessary um, that you for flourishing that you can't provide on your own? Right. right? right. So under normal circumstances... Uh, we, of course, expect you to provide yourself with the necessities of life. But Thomas uh, recognizes what's often called the right of necessity. Mm-hmm. And that is that when someone cannot obtain the minimal necessities of life on their own, uh, then they um, develop, uh, then they have a right to the excess of others. Right. right? Oh, yeah. Now, interestingly, Thomas doesn't actually conceptualize this as a distributive as a redistributive or government program, although I don't think he precludes it either. But the way he primarily thinks about it is as an exercise of the virtue of liberality. Right? Right, that is, right. that those who have excess have a, uh, a moral duty, right, to distribute their excess to those who can't meet their own needs. Right. And, you know, a modern understanding for, or a modern um, example maybe that our audience is probably thinking about right now is you know the whole discussion around you know universal basic income you mm-hmm, know mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and uh, um, uh, we we can kind of grasp it you know on some level when we think about you know um, uh, uh, effort and working and things like that but I remember recently there was it was you know it really caused uh, 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 an issue with a lot of people and I think because they have this understanding uh, that you were just describing and one of the uh, promotions of universal basic income it said you know for those uh, uh, um, it will provide this income for mm. those who cannot work or are unwilling to work mm. and that was the part that people <laughs> were like wait, well, wait a second. Yeah. unwilling to work <laughs> right. you know whereas I think yeah. you, like you said you know uh, uh, when you think about this kind of quantitative justice uh, mm-hmm. uh, or co- quantitative distribution, that that that, that it really does uh, uh, have to have uh, um, uh, a, a, a different thing. It's not this absolute egalitarian sure. kind of thing. That's right. That's uh, right. Um, so so take what we're we're talking about here, maybe, <laughs> and uh, uh, apply it to you know maybe the your discussions with uh, universal right. basic income. Yeah, yeah. So when you think about it, just the, the simple point here is is really that um, 
an absolute quantitative equality is not owed to citizens. It's just not. Yeah. Right? Uh, what is owed to citizens is um, a, a scheme, a system of, uh, of distribution uh, in which they'll at least roughly get what they need and what they deserve according to their contribution and position in society. Right. right? And that will often mean um, uh, inequality uh, to some degree. To put it in modern terms, you can have inequality above a safety net. Right, 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 right. There is a safety net that what Tom, in the older language Thomas would call the right of necessity. Right, sure. There is a safety exactly. net there. Um, uh, you know, people fall on hard times through no choice. You know, through you know, maybe maybe an imprudent decision, but they're trying to improve or whatever. Uh, you know, we're not going to let our citizen, our fellow citizens, uh, starve or, or languish. Right. Um, uh, but um, above that that minimal safety net, uh, inequality is actually um, appropriate. Now, I'm not trying to say that. Every distribution we have today necessarily follows uh, a real merit. Okay? Does that you know what I'm <laughs> yeah, saying? Yeah. Often there are people who prosper in our society who don't deserve to prosper in our society, right? And that's unfortunate. Yeah. <laughs> right? Oh yeah. But you, but it's an error to go to the other side and say, oh, there the solution is to make everyone quantitatively equal. That's right. also unjust. Okay. So uh, I hope that's uh, that uh, that that's helpful. And you know when you're when you're arguing about it, I think or thinking about it. Probably the easiest thing is to go back to that example of grading. Yeah, you know uh, where it's really manifest um, that there would be a, that that a real quantitative equality would in fact be unjust. Right. You know. Right. Right. So let's get to our final error. That's right. Yeah, the final error, and and, and in some ways maybe the most important is uh, what I've called the theological error. So I was interested in in, this, in writing this paper in particular because I thought uh, well intentioned lay leaders and, 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 and uh, um, uh, Christians were kind of getting confused mm-hmm. uh, because there's so much talk about social justice and, and the common good. And, and, and I wanted to sort of bring in some of these Thomistic ideas to kind of bring some clarity to the discussion, especially uh, with respect to the, th- the connection between theology and politics. Yeah. Now, this is fraught with a lot of history and, and difficulty. And I can't possibly cover every angle here. Sure. But there, the, the, there's a lot of issues that are proper to theology here, yeah. right, uh, that uh, I, I'll just mention, but I don't want to get into. Certainly your interpretation of the meaning of the kingdom of God, mm-hmm. your understanding of uh, the gospel, uh, your understanding of eschatology all fit into this in a, like if you're if you're approaching this from the inside of theology, right? Right, right. right. Um, I'm not going to approach it that way, <laughs> uh, I, 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 but I can approach it. I think from a kind of broadly um, from Thomistic thought mm-hmm. and make some distinctions uh, that are I think are helpful. Uh, so the definition, right, of the political common good is the ju- is the virtuous use, right, of uh, temporal goods. What you really want to put your emphasis on here are temporal goods. Mm-hmm. You know, te- uh, active happiness, the political common good, temporal goods, they are real goods. They're an important part of uh, human uh, flourishing. Um, the temporal good, uh, you know, though, is, is, is natural, right, right? right? And bodily and passing away, okay? Um, uh, that's to be distinguished from man's eternal good, right? Yeah. Which is... Obviously, his ultimate end, right? Uh, a much higher, more universal, uh, and and obviously ultimate kind of goodness there, right? right. Um, that kind of goodness, right, and the theological virtues that go along with the eternal good are not proper 
to political community, right? Mm. What's proper to political community are the acquired cardinal virtues and the virtuous use of temporal goods. That's what's proper to political life. Um, so uh, I think the uh, although it's the case that the eternal good is supreme, sure. right, um, and that the uh, theological virtues have a certain superiority over the cardinal virtues, um, uh, we shouldn't uh, confuse the two. There right. is a clear distinction, and that distinction is based on the underlying good at stake, namely the eternal good or the temporal good. Okay. Uh, so I think uh, I think that's a, a, a helpful way of, of maybe clarifying it some. Now I, I I don't want to pretend like the or I don't want to in any way suggest that the theological virtues have nothing to do with our community life, sure. our political life. They certainly do. Imagine the situation of a, a Christian soldier. Charity, right, which can be the form of all the virtues. Um, uh, you know, a soldier, a Christian soldier, could be prompted, right, to do his duty. Um, by uh, the virtue of charity, mm-hmm. okay? But in doing his duty, he's acting justly, right? So so charity can command an act of justice, mm-hmm. right? That is obeying your superiors, right? right. Um, but that act still remains an act of justice, and it still remains a military act and a temporal good, not an eternal good. Does right, that make right. sense? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Now, the soldier becomes a subject of merit and sanctification by doing that action through charity, Sure. okay? But it's still a temporal good and an act of justice in uh, sort of proximately and directly. So there is a, a, a connection between charity, right? So I don't want to pretend like these are two different realms altogether, right, right? right? There is a connection between charity and our eternal good and political life, uh, but the political life doesn't become uh, the church. Right. Political community doesn't become uh, charity, right? Yeah, yeah, political yeah. community doesn't become the eternal good. Right. In fact, we wouldn't really want it to, right? Okay, <laughs> you know, <laughs> right. right? I mean, the political community is a great good, uh, but we um, uh, we don't want to mistake it for our highest good, right? right? And, and it's not. Uh, and so, I think sometimes there's a temptation to what I, I the way I put it is to theologize politics, right? Uh, or legislate the kingdom the, of God. <laughs> that's right. It's right. Exactly. Like the. Uh, um, uh, the, the the political community is not the church, yeah. right? Uh, it's not the church suffering, militant, or triumphant, <laughs> right? Uh, it is a it is a distinct kind of community. It is a community that's ordainable to higher ends, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. But it still uh, maintains its its own sort of um, integrity, right? Politics doesn't become charity, right. and that that's a, that's a problem today, right? Lots of what's going on right now, lots of times is. People want to replace the virtue of justice with the virtue of charity, mm. um, and that's that's really problematic for political life. But I can put this in very precise terms: charity is a kind of friendship, mm-hmm. right? It's a form of friendship directly with God, uh, and then sort of secondarily with with uh, uh, other uh, humans. Well, uh, friendship will go beyond the bounds of justice. Yeah. That's one of its characteristics. And that's a great thing, right, in friendship. Okay? <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, like a friend might not make all the demands of justice that he could make, right? Sure. So, like, if you're a friend and you loan someone money, that's a, that's a, that's a, that's a kind of a dangerous thing to do. But if, you're friends, if you loan your friend money, you might say, you know, okay, well, you're going to pay it back in six months. But your friend comes to you and is like, man, I just I can't get it done right now. You know, can you get more? Oh, of course. You know, your friend, you're gonna say, you're, you know, yeah, you have a little more time. 
If you're not willing to do that, then you shouldn't have loaned money to your friend. <laughs> I would say that, okay, um, in the first place. But um, does that make sense, how friendship goes beyond justice? Yeah, is a, maybe a, a good example or a good way to maybe think about this is maybe the difference between somebody receiving a gift as charity and somebody receiving a gift as um, uh, the state giving me something. So maybe the difference mm-hmm. between... Uh, taxing and mm. and charitable sure. giving, right, you know, yeah, right. like like That's you're you're both you're both they're both you know, uh, um, money is leaving my pocket. Yes, but in very different ways. But in very different That's ways, right? right. Yeah. And they they both may be going to good things. Sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, That's uh, right. Uh, but there's but there's a but there's a huge difference between taxing and and, and charitable giving. Sure, absolutely. You know? And there's a big difference between receiving a gift and receiving a debitum. Yeah. And a debitum is something that I. What's owed to me, sure, right? right? And really, that's what the that's what political authority is there to ensure, right? right? It's not there to ensure that every good is given to every part. It's not there to uh, to properly or directly or proximately bring about the eternal good, right? Right. It's there to su- secure the just use of the temporal good, right? Yeah. And you know what you don't want is a judge saying uh, on a regular basis, oh, well, let's be friendly here, and you don't have to pay what you owe to so-and-so. Does that make sense? You know, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. We need, in some, in a lot of instances in political community, we do we need the enforcement of justice. Right. The debitum needs to be paid, right? right, right. And, 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 and a misapplication of charity, mm-hmm. that's the key here. Notice I say misapplication, right, <laughs> of charity. Uh, a misapplication of charity could actually distort political community right right by making it unjust right which i know sounds a little weird but once you start to think through it uh charity applied where justice is the main point isn't uh it, it is really kind of a corruption yeah i think maybe a good way to think about this is you know like uh, parents to children uh um there are times as parents where we we may want to be a little merciful we may mm-hmm. want to be charitable but uh, uh, this particular situation uh, demands that there be some sort of justice, mm-hmm. and to, like you said, to maybe misapply mercy or, or, or charity in this in this way, it may actually lead mm-hmm. to injustice mm-hmm. uh, uh, down the road, or even in this in this situation. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, whether it's you know two children fighting or something mm-hmm. like that. Like they're like the the. And, and I think maybe another way to, to put it is, you know, the the correct application of justice is charity, mm-hmm. is charitable. Yeah, it's consistent with charity. Yeah, yeah, yeah consistent with that. that. Okay. Yeah, uh, and charity can move you to do your your duty right, as, right. Uh, to 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 carry out justice, but it shouldn't uh, it shouldn't move you to abandon your post, right? right? <laughs> uh, those sorts of things, um, you know. So. That, that's one way. Maybe let's give you a little slightly different angle. Okay. Justice might be, uh, sorry, charity rightly might move you to a sort of profound generosity. Mm-hmm. And that's right and good. Uh, that's different than trying to, to, trying to, to secure that same generosity through the apparatus of the state right. and the legal system. There's a real difference here. A really great book. I don't endorse everything about it, but it's good just to kind of get your mind thinking. It's a book called Economics in One Lesson by, I think it's Henry Hazlitt. Okay. And in there, right, he has this, he calls it the fallacy of the forgotten man. Mm. And 
very often our economic reasoning leaves out something. Like we're, we're just looking at one aspect and sort of the good that can be secured there that's obvious to the eyes. Right, right. But we're not thinking about all of the other consequences that are related to it. Yeah. So if you're, anytime the government, and I'm not against all government spending or programs or anything like that. I think there, there is a place for such things. Um, but anytime the government is spending money, right, directly, um, that that money is ultimately um, comes from taxes, right? Yeah. It's the community that produces the wealth and prosperity of the society. The government rightly appropriates some of that uh, to carry out its essential mission uh, and its essential services. Uh, notice I say essential, okay? <laughs> Not every imaginable service that would be good, right? right? The, the government is limited really to securing justice, not securing every imaginable good. Right. Right. So just because it's good for somebody does not mean it, it falls into this realm of rights. The, of rights, exactly. Yeah. Uh, and in fact, the, the government would be sort of unjust to tax for the sake of something that's that's good, but but not uh, necessary injustice. Right. Does, does that make right. sense? Yeah, right. it does. Um, because here's the thing is you're... you're, you're your misapplication of charity there is causing you to deprive someone of their um, money, their resources um, that they justly possess, and you're sort of taking it away for a service that isn't owed right, to that right. other person, right? Now, not in ju- not in terms of justice. Now, right. it might be the case that you have excess, um, but it, and if so, you have a moral and virtuous. Um, demand upon you, right, to communicate that to other people right. um, through your liberality, maybe through civic friendship. But that's different than saying it's part of of, of human law right? sure, sure, and, sure. And, and governance. Yeah. Awesome. So, yeah, the, uh, is the, the one, just to sum up that error, is just to think about it in terms of theology replacing um, political community, uh, the church replacing political community, and, and the problem with that is a misguided application of charity that actually ends up distorting and corrupting politics. A lot to think about there, uh, Dr. Smith. I think uh, our audience can look at those four errors and, I don't know, from my perspective, we can see many of them very much alive, <laughs> uh, very much alive today. Having this understanding of the common good and understanding the errors as well uh, can help uh, guide us uh, in a very real way. Uh, So I want to invite all of our listeners, check us out at catholicstudiesacademy.com. Until next time, God bless.